this morning. If you want to open up your Bibles to page 855, we're going to read Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 5. Luke 1, starting at 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Thanks, Mark. Let me encourage you to stay open to that text. We're going to be in that text and then in a couple others briefly this morning. We have a, a lot going on this morning. started out with uh, breakfast, as has already been said, and again, we already thank Wendy. By the way, it's her birthday today. just want to point that out there. So, um, Beth Schultz also has the birthday today as well. So, it's my mom's birthday today, so... yeah. <laughs> She watches the live stream, you know, later on, so, you know, she'll be glad that I mentioned that. So, uh, it's a big day today, right? Um, so, a lot going on. And then I'll give some instructions about the gift exchange at the end, and so we're looking forward to that. But uh, we're going to pause now and just going to look at uh, God's Word for a few minutes here. We've been going through our Avon series, which is uh, the Messiah's uh, family tree. And we started a couple weeks ago with... Uh, two puzzled parents, and we looked through about Mary and Joseph and how uh, there was a lot of emotions going on there. And we looked at that, and then uh, last week we took, we took a look at uh, Jesus' several skeptical siblings, and we saw, that were, we were reminded how Jesus' brothers, uh, and possibly sisters too, half-brothers, half-sisters, did not believe in him until the resurrection. Um, and so we just saw what that, what that was like. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at a guy by the name of John the Baptist, uh, one crazy cousin, okay, is uh, how we're going to look at him today. Um, we've already heard that the story of John's birth that was read to us. Mark just read to that, that uh, for us of, of the, how his birth was prophesied uh, in a very unusual way. Uh, I wish I had time to dive into all the, the background of it, but for, suffice it to say, uh, Zechariah, the priest, it was his once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to offer incense in the Holy of Holies. And so this was an amazing opportunity, an amazing privilege. Not all the priests had this opportunity. Their, their names were ca- uh, drawn out by lot, and, and if they got selected, they could never 
be do that again for the rest of their life. It was a, literally a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And uh, this was a very uh, a serious thing because uh, if, if a priest would enter into the Holy of Holies without uh, you know, proper sacrifice and things like that, he could be killed. Um, and so they literally had a rope tied around his ankle, bells on the bottom of the robe. And so if they heard the bells stop moving around after a little while, they could pull the rope and the body could come out, right? You know, if, if he had received that judgment. So that's why Zechariah is absolutely terrified when the angel suddenly appears to him here, like we just read about there. He thought, oh no, what did I do? But then he got the greatest news that ever, that he had ever could have had. So we know that Jesus and John were somehow related. I, I'm calling him a cousin. That's what most scholars settle on, that they were most likely second cousins. The idea of being Mary and Elizabeth being first cousins. We don't know for sure, though. The Bible just refers to Elizabeth as a relative of Mary. So we don't know exactly the relationship, but most scholars kind of settle on this idea of second cousin. Uh, there's not much written about John the Baptist in the biblical narrative. Uh, we know, as I said, his birth was surrounded by the unusual circumstances that I just said. Uh, I didn't mention his parents' age in that. That was another uh, unusual circumstance. Uh, his life had a definitive purpose that we read about in the text that Mark read for us. Uh, he had divine enablement, being enabled by the Spirit from his mother's womb. Uh, furthermore, we know that John, he's going to die young. Uh, he's not going to live a long life. He's actually going to die at a young age, probably in his 30s, early 30s, or somewhere around there. Um, that's it. About, that's about it that we know from John the Baptist from a, a biographical standpoint. Uh, we know he uh, wore simple clothes. We know he had an interesting diet, okay? Um, he wore camel's hair and, and uh, ate locust and wild honey, uh, the Bible describes for us. And that was really in the sense and the and kind of envision of the prophet because he was like in the spirit of the prophet of Elijah that he was coming in. And he was in the desert. Uh, some people tie him to the Qumran family. We don't know if that's true or not, but uh, some people even tie him to the Essenes. We, again, we don't know. Uh, but we do know that he had some uh, interesting uh, characteristics about him. He was not afraid to stir the pot. He was not afraid to challenge people in authority. And that's ultimately what's going to get him killed. Um, but again, other than that, there's just not a whole lot of, of specific details about his life as a child, his life as a teenager, his life as a young adult even. We don't have that. But what I want, do want to do this morning is I want to share three critical insights about John that I believe is going to help us follow Jesus better this Christmas season, okay? So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray in here so I can ask God's blessing, but then we'll look at three quick critical insights about John. But let me pray and ask God's blessing. Father, our hearts have been, uh, you know, ministered to already through singing congregationally, listening to the children sing, um, scripture reading. We look forward to the Lord's Supper, but now as we have time in the Word here, just a few minutes. It's a little bit shorter today because of all that's going on, but Lord, we want, we want your Spirit to guide us. Um, we want to be instructed by your Word and be challenged by your Word, and the only way that that's going to happen is if we're sensitive to your Spirit's leading, we're obedient, and um, if we're paying attention, God. And so there's a lot of things that are distracting our minds. So right now, even you know me, you know, as I'm praying to, before I'm coming up to preach of all the different distractions I'm trying to just forget about. So God, I pray that over the next few minutes here, we'd be able to just put everything aside and 
sit back and just breathe deeply and, and, and hear what your spirit has for us through your word. Uh, we need your spirits to guide us. I need your enablement, God. And so we just pray that this will be time well spent together in your word. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. So three critical insights. First of all, you need to understand that, first of all, John, he was devoted to a ministry of pointing, okay? This was, this was John's devoted ministry, that his ministry was all about pointing people. We, we read this a little bit in the text that Mark read for us. In verse 16, it says, If he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah, okay? This is, this is John the Baptist. He's being foretold by the angel to his father what his ministry is going to be. He is going to prepare the way, really, for the Messiah. He is going to point people to the Messiah, that's his entire ministry. That is his entire purpose was to prepare the way for when Jesus comes onto the scene, maybe his cousin, we're not exactly sure again of the familial relationship there, but as his family member comes onto the scene, one of the first things that, that John says is, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And it's in reference to Jesus. And so his whole ministry was about pointing people's attention, pointing people's eyes to Jesus of Nazareth. That's what he lived for. That was what his entire ministry was about. Now, you turn the page if you're in Luke chapter 1. Turn over to chapter 3. And, and I want you to see in chapter 3, so this is going to be yeah, on page uh, 858 if you're using one of the Bibles provided for you there. Notice this. In, in, in chapter 3, we see John the Baptist preparing the way. I don't have time to read through the whole thing here. He's baptizing the baptism of repentance. We're going to come back to that. But in verse 15, he says, listen to this. This is Luke's account. In verse 15, as the people were in expectation. Okay, so let me stop there. What was that talking about? Well, it's talking about that they were waiting for the Messiah. They were expecting the Messiah to come. They had been longing for this day. Longing for the day where the Messiah would come onto the scene. The promised Messiah would come onto the scene and set people, set everything right again. Give freedom uh, to the people, particularly of Israel. This is what they're waiting for. So when it says that they were in expectation, they were looking. They were waiting for the Messiah. As the people were in expectation, they were all questioning their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, the Messiah. They're debating amongst themselves. They're trying to say, I some people are saying, I think this is the Messiah. I think this is it. He's the one we've been waiting for. He's the one that, that is going to solve our problems here. This is it. And other people say, I don't know about this. And so there's this debate going back and forth about this. Look at verse 16. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He says, I I'm not the Christ. He, he could have made this all about himself. Did you realize this? I mean, the scene was set for him to build his own reputation. The, the scene was there. The, all the components were there for him to increase his own standing with the people. As people, there's several people were thinking, this is the Messiah. He could have done this. And, and categorically, he says, no, I'm not. Not only here, but also in John chapter 3. I put this on the screen for you. In John chapter 3, uh, it says this in verse 22 through 30. Uh, you yourselves bear witness, this is John speaking, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. 
So John had this opportunity where people were saying to him, I think you're the Messiah. I think you have the answers. I think you're the people, the person that we need. You're the one we're looking for. And he is categorically saying, I am not the Christ. It's not me. He must increase, Jesus. I must decrease. There's a loads of there are loads of application here, right? I mean, first of all, is this idea of, you know, to whom or what do we point people to? When, when people see what is most valuable or most important to us in our lives, where, where, what direction are they being sent? And, and where do they see, okay, yeah, that's most important to that person. Or who is most important? You see, John, this is crucial to understand about him is that he was committed to pointing people to Jesus. John was all about Jesus increasing and us decreasing, him, himself decreasing. I wonder if that's true of us. We need to decrease while Jesus increases. But, you know, there's another application to this. John understood that he didn't have to be the Messiah to other people because the true Messiah was, was there. There's so many times where we feel like there's some of us who are more wired to be helping and solving problems, things like that where we feel like we must be the Messiah. I mean, I tell you, I, you know, I tell you, I preach sermons I need to hear, okay? It's easy for me to slip into this category of, I got to solve this problem, I got to do this, I got to solve this, solve. and then this is really helpful for me in this moment. Let me just be honest. That, no, no, no. Jesus is the one that people need, not me. Not the preparation. You know, it's, it's funny. You know, it, this has been a big deal. I've been praying for this day, right? I'm, I'm telling, man, we got, we got a lot going on today. We got a breakfast going on. We got the kids program. We got the gift exchange. I've been praying for everything to go well. I've been right around everything. And so we've tested all the, the stuff and everything. You should have seen during music rehearsal, okay? Like, we could not get a lot of tech working, okay? We're in the back trying to figure this thing out. Oh, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on here. You know, and then we've, we've worked it out. We tested all the microphones. We knew that some of them could give feedback, but we worked it out so that it would not give any feedback at all. Yesterday, it was perfect. Well, you heard it. <laughs> all right? You know? But what do we do in these moments? Do we just get irritated and angry? Or do we step back and say, you know what? We're not the Messiah here. I need this, okay? You need this, okay? So when we think of what John the Baptist is going through, he's going through this ministry where his whole point is that I want people to know Jesus. I want people to see Jesus. I don't want people to see me. I don't want people to see my talents. I don't want to see people, my abilities. I want my talents and my abilities and my skill sets to be used to point people to Christ. This is a crucial reality for John's ministry. And it must be something that you and I emulate here. I told you there's three. Time is, uh, and I don't have as much time today, so we need to move on. We could spend a lot of time on this one. But number two, uh, John uh, preached the message of repentance. John preached the message of repentance. We're already in Luke 3. Here we see that in verse 3 it says that he went to all the region around Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so one of the very first things that he's talking about is that people need to repent of their sins. And then here in verse 7 it says this, and again I, I'm, I'm skipping around here but due to time, but in verse 7 he says, He said therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. By the way, that's a great way to get a crowd, okay? All right? 
You call them a broods of vipers, okay? But there's this thing that's happening here where there's these people, excuse me, they, they were, they were um, uh, 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 you know, pharisaical or they, were, they, they looked religious, but they weren't. And so he's calling them out. And he says, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He says this, bear fruits, verse 8, in keeping with repentance. So people were coming to him, wanting to be baptized, not because that they had a change of heart, but because it was just another thing to add to the list. Well, you know, this couldn't hurt. You know, this is a good work to do. He's saying, no, 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 you have to have a life that's bearing fruit, okay? That it is bearing fruits in keeping with repentance here. So John's message is all about repentance. What is repentance? We can define it in multiple ways, but one easy way is remorse that leads to a change of mind or behavior, mind and behavior. So remorse that leads to a change in mind and behavior. We could also say it's a turnaround of heart, of mind and will. That this is what repentance is, is that when we completely turn or to change, literally uh, the lexical definition is to turn or to change. But the idea biblically is this idea of all of our heart, of our will, of our mind, of our emotions, that there's a turning away from something, but not just turning away from something, but turning to something, more importantly, to someone. And so this is the message that John has. He's preaching this message of repentance that, that, that they people, that they have to have not just a, a, a change of what they say, but their whole lives have to be transformed because of Jesus Christ. And he says that this is going to be publicly proclaimed in the waters of baptism. And so this is one of the reasons why we baptize people after their, their confession of Christ, is so that it is an idea of showing what's already happened. It's a, it's a public testimony. And so what, what, when someone is baptized, someone is put underneath the water and raised again, it's this idea of, or this picture of, someone who is identifying with Jesus Christ. And someone who has repented of their sins, and they want a life that's turned and changed. And again, it's not a perfect life, and we sin, of course, and we need God's continued forgiveness. But the idea is it's a complete change of, of, of intention and direction and motivation and goal. Repentance produces change. So it should be publicly seen in the waters of baptism. That's why he was doing this. But it should also bear fruits. It should show change, as we said in verse 8 there. Look at verse 10. And the crowd asked him, what then shall we do? So he says, do, your life should match this up. He says, what should we do then? He says this. Um, and he answered them, "Whoever has two tunics to share with who, uh, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise." Tax collectors also come to be baptized and say, uh, came to be baptized and said to him, "Teacher, what shall we do?" And he said to them, "Collect no more than you're authorized to do." Soldiers also asked him, "And we, what shall we do?" And he said to them, "Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages." And so we have different groups that Luke is capturing for us. Here are coming to John and saying, "Okay, you said to keep, live this life that is in keeping with repentance. What does that look like for us?" And he gives some very practical examples here of these people. And it's a life of generosity. It's a life of integrity and justice and contentment here. And again, those, this isn't a, a checklist where that is meant to give to us like, oh, okay, so i got to really work on this and this and this, and then I'm good. No, no, no. What this is doing here is that John is illustrating what repentance does. It changes just kind of how we look at life. How our values, uh, our intentions and our motivations, 
This is what he's telling us to do here. So John preaches this message of repentance. You know, the whole point of Christmas, the whole point of Christianity is to produce change. And lasting change starts with repentance. Repenting of our sin. Sometimes when we hear that word, we think of different images come to our mind, but very simply this, it's, it's just turning from sin and turning to God. Don't let another Christmas season go by where you haven't turned from sin and turned to God. This is a perfect time. This is what John, his whole message was about. He pointed people to Christ for the purpose of them repenting of sins, not because of, of you know, he was better than anyone else. No, we saw that he said that Jesus increases, I must decrease, and we say the same thing here. His message was of repentance. Are, do, do you have a life of repentance? Don't mistake the repentance as like a one-time act. Do you have a life of repenting where, where sin bothers you? And you ask God to forgive you. you. You're continually trying to turn away from sin. When you realize, okay, this is wrong. I shouldn't be doing this. Do we turn away from that? Are we, are we constantly trying to turn towards God? These are questions that are really helpful to ask during this Christmas season particularly. Number three, finally. John, first of all, we said that he had a, he had a, a ministry of pointing. He preached the message of repentance. And then number three, it's important to understand that John waited through moments of doubt. John waited through moments of doubt. Go over to Matthew chapter 11, if you could. Uh, Matthew 11, this is page 816 in the Bibles that are there provided for you. Matthew chapter 11. I want you to see these verses here. Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. says this. When Jesus had finished instructing his disciples... He went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison, this is John the Baptist, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and sent to him, are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? He said, wait a minute here. He had this whole ministry of pointing. And why is he asking this question? Well, he was sitting in prison for a while. He, he wasn't seeing exactly everything that was happening. He's just hearing stories of things that are going on. And, and it, it was a little different than what he thought the Messiah was going to do. I think in much like most other people, he thought the Messiah was going to come and he immediately overthrow the Roman government rule and, and set, restore Israel to the, the independent power that, that it had been before. And so I think that's what he was thinking of. And when Jesus seemed like his ministry was, was doing something different, it didn't seem like that was the motivating factor for Jesus he asked this question. He says, are you the one who's to come or should we look for another one? This is one of my favorite texts in all of Scripture. Because John had a moment of doubt. And so do I. And so do you. I mean, we'd be lying if we said we'd never had a moment of doubt. It may be different intensity. It may be you know, different long, how long it lasts or whatever. It may be in terms of seriousness or whatever. We've all had moments of doubt of something about the Bible, something about God. And I love how Jesus responds to this. Jesus answers in verse 4. Go tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Leopards are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. I love this response. Basically what Jesus says, he goes, here's what you need to go, John. Go tell him and go see, look around what's happening. The blind are beginning to see. The lame are walking. 
good things are happening. The, the poor have the good news preached to them. I'm the Messiah. But he does it so carefully. He does it so kindly. He doesn't rebuke John. He just reminds him. He says, okay, instead of just being angry with you, John, and say, how dare you? How dare you question me? He said, I'm just going to remind you what my job is here, what I'm doing here. And now the reason why he does this, and if you're in the habit of uh, making notes in your Bible, let me just encourage you to make a little note next to like verse 4, somewhere around there. Just write Isaiah 35, 5 and 6, okay? Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. I put it on the screen. Here's what that text says. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. What's going on in Isaiah there? Isaiah, they're just talking about when the Messiah comes. That was the prophecy of when the Messiah comes. So why did Jesus say what he said to John here to tell John? It was because he, was, he knew. He knew John would immediately remember Isaiah 35. And he would immediately know, okay, the promised one is coming. He says, listen, don't, you're going to have moments it out, but just look and see the change. Look and see what's doing. Look around and see the work of God that is evident through me, is what Jesus is saying there. Very compassionate response. Very beautiful response. I have to draw your attention to verse 11 here quickly. He's talking to the crowds now, and Jesus says, Truly I say among you, those born of women, there is risen no one greater than John the Baptist. None greater. And then he goes on to say, but yet in the kingdom of heaven, that everyone's equal, basically what he says there. But he's telling them, he's, he, he's affirming John's ministry. He's being kind and patient with him. Here's the takeaway, or one of the takeaways. God is not threatened when our, we have doubts. But he will patiently point us to what we need to see that he is actually doing here. So, look around. Uh, see the evidence that is right in front of you. We, we, we could have spent a lot more time in John's life here. But looking at these three crucial insights, I believe it's helpful for us this Christmas season. You know, John, he's going to die a death where he's going to die by being beheaded. We can read about that in Matthew chapter 14 and Mark chapter 6. It's a sad death. Uh, the, the person who actually uh, has the authority and orders his beheadment, is that a word? It is now. Um, uh, didn't want to do it. But he was bound by a, a foolish promise that he made. Interesting story. Sad story in many ways. You think, so he, he pointed people to Jesus. He gets thrown in prison. And then he dies. Probably in his early 30s. What was the point? Well, I can tell you this. It wasn't a wasted life. We're still reading about him. Jesus says that there's none greater than him. It's not about the longevity of our life. It's about what we do with our lives that matters. His life wasn't wasted. He fulfilled the purpose that God gave him, so God took him home, where then there will be no more pain and sorrow, and he wouldn't have to worry about those things anymore. And so the question comes is, are we fulfilling our purpose while we're here? If you still have breath, if you still have life, if your heart is still beating, God still has a plan for you on this earth. So are you fulfilling it? Are you pointing people to Christ? Is the idea of the message of repentance, is that revolutionary and changing to you each and every day? And when those moments of doubt do come, do you look and see Jesus compassionately reminding you what he's done? Jesus, excuse me, John, he was all in, even through moments of doubt. He didn't care about popularity, he cared about Jesus, and his life was to point people to Christ. 